Oh, hello, traveler. You look a bit weary after walking the path. Hmm, how did I know? <laughs> I usually know. It's something in the eyes, something in the way the skin holds light. A person knows something different of themselves here in this cellar than they do upstairs at Zero's. It's what keeps us in business, frankly. But the same is true for all the suns. The you I would see standing under the light of the blue sun is a very different you than the you I would find in the red. And yet, you are still you. We are many faceted beings. As within, so without. What'll you have tonight? <laughs> Hello again, travelers. A short episode today, and some special instructions. Listen right now to the first half of the show, in which you'll meet Bree Sheldon, game designer, journalist, editor, author, and thought leader, then hit pause and rush immediately over to his Kickstarter for Turn, which is ending in less than two days. There's not much time. Go back it. Soak in the art and the poetry and the deep thought and care that went into this venture, and then buy a book. A Noah book tinged with blue, or a physical copy, silver lit, for yourself if you prefer. If you're as excited as I am and able to be generous today, back at one of the levels which delivers an extra copy to a marginalized person in the community as well. Then, and only then, come back and listen to the second half of the show, in which I will introduce a new segment, The Streets of Saturine. Hark, Vizsla is calling. So, Bo Sheldon, hello, sir, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm excited to have you. I have an important question for you, which is, uh, what are you drinking right now? I am currently drinking Earl Grey with some regular milk in it and some sugar and Arizona green tea um, with ginseng in it because <laughs> I am a sucker for those. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm with you. We were, we were just laughing pre-show because um, I currently have a bottle of ice cold water, a cup of hot green tea with peach, and also an iced mocha arrayed in front of me because multiple beverages, they're, they're a way of life. And uh, I'm happy to hear that you arrived in the secret cellar with more than one order from the bartender. That's great. Absolutely. Kindred spirits. I, I like it. <laughs> so I've been hearing a lot about a project that you are working on, Turn, which is coming to a close shortly as a Kickstarter campaign. And that's a, a big thing I want to talk about. But first, could you just give a little introduction to who you are and some of the things that you do creatively and otherwise in life? Awesome. Of course. So I am Brie Bo Sheldon. I am a game designer journalist, editor, and leadership educator. And I have been working in games for a little while and playing games most of my life. And I'm extremely excited about like pretty much all of the projects that I work on. <laughs> the, ones, uh, the ones that people might know me the most for are, um, I did the Behind the Mask Kickstarter over the summer, which was a project focused on non-cisgender masculine people. And I've also worked on Things like Firefly, The Smuggler's Guide to the Rim, and I worked on Demon Interface, and I did Let Me Take a Selfie, which is one of my own collections, and a few other things. And I also do Leading with Class, which is a leadership show. I teach leadership using tabletop games and video games, but like role-playing themed 
games, like those kind of genres. And I've been working on that since I graduated from my master's degree earlier this year. Offline, I might want to talk to you more about that sometime, just because I've been thinking more about questions of, yeah, ways in which RPGs affect people in, I don't know, leadership and therapy and all kinds of other ways. And uh Ah, I would just be interested to hear a little more about what you're doing there. That's neat. Yeah, absolutely. The episodes of the show are free online, and um, I film it with my husband and business partner, John W. Sheldon. And so that's been my my big like summer project on top of my you know big Kickstarter that I did, and also the Kickstarter that I'm doing now. Like because I do more than one thing at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now I'm focusing on turn which is basically, I've been working on it for five years, so it's a very big deal. <laughs> wow. Uh, how, so how many, well, first of all, as, as we record, how many days are left in the Kickstarter? As of right now, it's nine days to go. Um, ah. And we're at uh, 1369, uh, 13,069. Yeah, excellent. We have reached one stretch goal, and we are now halfway to our Tour of Italy stretch goal, which uh, is a pretty big deal, so really excited uh good it's funded so that's a good start but how are you feeling at this point in the the final stretch i'm very grateful for all the backers and i'm really excited so happy that we hit our goal and hit the first stretch goal and i'm hoping we can keep it up i'm also completely freaking out because it is the most stressful experience on the planet um (laughs) i'll be honest Yeah, I believe that. I believe it. And like turn <sighs> turn is kind of sometimes a hard sell. The pitch is it is a slice of life supernatural role playing game about shapeshifters in small rural towns. <laughs> so I went back and in preparation for this kind of read everything I could find. So at this point, I have a sense of what's going on. But this show, although it ends up talking a lot about game design and role playing, it's really just about more broader storytelling. So there are probably folks for whom either the idea of shapeshifters or the idea of a slice of life game may not even mean anything. <laughs> Can you briefly describe each of those in the context of turn? Certainly. So I'll do slice of life first because it's actually generally the bigger hurdle. So slice of life is a quieter type of drama and basically focuses on day-to-day life of the characters that you play in the game. And that can include everything from running to the grocery store and dealing with the nosy neighbors or, you know, having a date night in with your partner and trying to not, you know, get overly stressed out because secretly you're a cougar. (laughs) (laughs) I've always liked this kind of thing, but didn't know that it had a name. So when I was reading ahead, I was like, Oh, a slice of life game. That makes sense because I I just could never stick a, a title to a kind of thing that I have always kind of been drawn to. Yeah, it's a term borrowed from like TV type media and stuff that some reviewers have used in the past that I really liked. I don't know how much it is normally used for RPGs. I didn't really look into that too deeply, but I think that it is the only way I could describe the game. Makes sense. And uh, so the shapeshifters are just in, in the context of turns specifically are normal people in pretty much every other respect. They have like normal lives, day-to-day kind of thing, but they have the ability to turn at will or sometimes when they're too stressed out into full-form beasts. So like various animals, including like wolves and bears and raccoons and um, a whole bunch of others. Nice. And they have superpowers because why not superpowers are always fun that's good and that's a really actually essential part of the like 
being a shapeshifter intern is like you have all these superpowers, but you can't tell anyone about them. Right. Totally. <laughs> so, yeah, that's so that's how the, the, the gist of them works. They're like origin is very undefined. That's something you define in game. They're not like based on any specific type of shapeshifter in any other media or anything. I just wanted people who could turn into animals. Sure. It sounds like this whole tension of like, who are these various aspects of me that, that are not immediately obvious? That's a, that's a huge kind of underlying theme in this that the game's kind of exploring too, yeah. 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 I mean, the the general idea of the, the beasts and the humans' identities like are that they are both kind of equal partners in in the person and kind of bleed into each other a little bit in various ways inside their heads but that they are something you need to find balance between, mm -hmm. uh, which can be a struggle. Mm -hmm. So it is definitely something that each side has its own needs and wants. And on the, on the character sheets in the game, you have two character sheets. You have a human sheet and a beast sheet. And on these sheets, you have separate goals and separate stats and separate abilities and powers. Sure. And they interact with each other a bit, but they do have that, like, these are two separate things that are connected together through you and you have to figure that out. So how much am I aware if I'm operating from the human sheet at this moment of the beast side or vice versa? How much do they interact? Um, if you look at exclusively the human side, if all the questions are answered and everything, you can get an idea of when their turning started to be an experience, like what kind of thing it means to them and stuff like that. But you don't get an idea of what powers or... Uh, abilities or goals the beast might have in part mm -hmm. because as you level up in game effectively you can get more beast archetypes to potentially switch into mm, um, gotcha. which is exciting yeah totally in character if i am thinking as a human right now do i have memories of all of my experiences as a beast do i fully know that side of myself even though others may not oh, or yes, are they absolutely. is it more, more like okay so this isn't like a Jekyll and Hyde, no. you know, human were werewolf, total opposites kind of thing. No, I was I was pretty adamant about not doing that um, <laughs> because to me that violates agency mm. um, and like agency yeah. is super important and super ignored and supernatural themed games a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So my one of my strictest rules is that you are always in full control and you are always aware of what is happening to you. Excellent. And the only thing that can happen without your permission is that your body can force change from one form to another if you get too stressed out, but you still have full control of everything you do in that situation. So there's a little bit of that the idea of dark play just being the thing that if you have a, a tension of some kind building up, there can be a real consequence. So the most classical example, of course, is just mm -hmm. hit points, right? Like in a game, if you take too many hit points, like something bad might happen to your body. <laughs> um, so in this case, there's still that tension of like, my stress level is rising, I need to do something about that because there might be a real consequence. But expressly, there's no point where you are then in any way being forced to do something or make a decision that is not what you are choosing to do. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, you always have control. And um, I integrated a tool called Script Change that I designed years ago into the game itself. And basically, you use that to deal with anything that would come up that might make you uncomfortable. Like if somebody were to move into a narrative point that you don't like, or it's not fitting the tone, 
you can ask for a, what we call like a rewind or a fast forward or a pause. Mm, very cool. So that that was really important to me include, and especially because there are actually multiple tracks that you monitor for escalating consequences and risk. Okay. The rule in turn is that you succeed at anything you're trying to do, mm-hmm. but it will take time most of the time. And it always has consequences. Mm, excellent. And yep. so when people are basically trying to do like their super powery beastie things in a way that might get them exposed to the public in some way, uh, mm-hmm. or their NPCs, their non-player characters, those basically open up their exposure track, which is like a track that monitors how well people around you know or have suspicions that you are a shapeshifter. Mm. Um, and so the, the two tracks are like the stress track and the exposure track. They're very important to the function of the game and like how it plays out in play. Okay, cool. Get real super crunchy for a minute and just tell me about the actual mechanics of like the dice rolls and how some of those play in with, with the tracks and then kind of with the themes. Okay, uh, so the base dice mechanic is a 2d6 plus one with requirements. You have two six-sided dice, and those are your kind of base dice. And any time that you can justify it from your the opposite form of what you're currently in, you can add the third die and take a stress to have a higher rate of success. Oh, give me one like concrete example of that where... Let's see if I'm understanding this right. So I am currently human, but I am about to make a roll. And from the perspective of my... Which animal should I be, Brie? <laughs> what are some of my options? The, there, there are a couple of different ones you can be. <laughs> we'll go ahead to the raccoon because they have some very fun and exciting powers. Great. So raccoon me wants to be able to justify something about this role to be able to add an extra die. Yes. Yeah. So say whenever you're in human form, you would tag your raccoon powers for the die. If you're in beast form, you tag your human form for the powers. So that's when they start to integrate and like relate to each other a lot more deeply. Mm, cool. So if you were in your human form, but you're secretly a raccoon. Well, uh, <laughs> love and might be. That's, that's good. <laughs> and you're having like a conversation with somebody and you're like, maybe saying something that you probably shouldn't have. Because that tends to happen when you have a beast in you as you like <laughs> run off at the mouth. <laughs> yes. Sure. The person, you know, if you're if you're in this position, you could look at the raccoon sheet and see, hey, man, no problem, which is a power that says when social situations might otherwise be catastrophic, you generally are likable enough or weaselly enough to skate by without causing trouble. <laughs> gotcha. Yep. So basically, so long as you have like a positive established thing with this person in the first place, like if, if you had just gotten into a complicated part of the argument, you could kind of tag that. And be like, hey, I uh, I didn't really mean to like cause any problems here and get to use your turn die. Mm, cool. And so that then gives me three dice instead of the normal two. Correct. Drawing on the power from the beast side. Right. And whenever you roll those, uh, depending on what you're doing, whether you are doing a power, an ability, or a struggle, you either add or subtract your base stats, mm-hmm. um, which are called your natures, your habits, and your instincts. Cool. Yeah, so that's that's generally how like it an encounter works. Is you if if you come into a situation, you play out and you hit a point where there's some conflict. Is is most of the time if there's a question or a conflict, that's often where you end up rolling, mm-hmm. and that includes conflicts between the two sides of your identity. Sure, and that's where struggles come in, which are the base kind of conflict resolution mechanic. Cool. 
stood out to me in one of the blog posts that you had written, you know, at any given point, if you're dealing with sort of different parts of yourself, it's not as though you're ever entirely one or the other. There's like to varying degrees on different days, different parts of who you are kind of always coming into play. And that that really resonated with me personally from my own life. And it's interesting to see how that plays into a mechanical situation too. That's really cool. Yeah. I, as someone who has a background, um, as you've seen in the blog posts of having an identity that most people consider very polarized, mm-hmm. but also just being a very fluid person, I've had to learn a lot what it's like to have two sides or a supposed two sides to your identity mm-hmm. and like what that means to who you are and how they interact with each other and stuff like that. Because with bipolar disorder, which is a lot of how I worked out the mechanics of how the different sides will work in this game, the uh, general idea is that you are either manic or depressed and that's it. Right. <laughs> and that's not how it is. Actually, no. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that that's that's a lot of where like you being able to kind of reach into the other side of you and your mind and be like, pull on that ability and that power. Sure. Well, and even I'm not close to sort of questions of bipolar disorder, but I have struggled at different times just from like depression in the sort of classic sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's that, still that situation of like, yes, on some days I might have figured out how to appear as though I'm entirely functioning, but there's still that thing going on in the background that's a kind of a pull or a tug yeah. back toward the thing that you're effectively managing at the moment. And it's not as simple as like, is this a good day or a bad for- day for me? It's it's more complex. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. And, and it's like, it, it was hard for me whenever, because I was working on this for a large portion of the time I was working on it, um, almost half of the design time, I was in a mixed episode, wow. which is kind of like depression and mania at the same time. Right. And I had to reflect a lot on like what that meant whenever you're making a game about characters that have two sides to them, sure. right? Like, yeah. And so that's how some of this like dips into each other a bit. So who out there do you think might specifically relate to connect with or enjoy turn that maybe will find something here they wouldn't have run into in, in another game before? Oh, I would never say that I could be the first at anything. Oh, sure. Um, that's creative life, you know? <laughs> I will say that like turn being a quiet drama, but also being about, you know, something like shapeshifters and like identity and community makes it a lot of things combined together that people don't always expect. Yeah. There was a lot of expectation with a couple of the people that I showed the game to that would be like really high energy or that it would get really dark Mm. or something like that. And that's not really, that's not really where I go with the game. Like, I do talk a lot in the essays about real life stuff and like prejudice and stuff like that, that a lot of people experience. And a lot of people who have been othered in life do kind of look at turn and say, Hey, I get that. I can see myself in this. Yeah, sure. But I think the biggest thing is the fact that like, I have really strict like rules in the game about like what kind of content you can include. Mm-hmm. There's like an entire page of the book that is like you, if you play this kind of stuff in the game, it is not going to, be turn anymore good for you sure (laughs) you've done something but it is not this right and like that makes a a specific kind of tone i designed the game to be not super dark but allow it to explore like real things that we really experience yeah including like layers of oppression while also still being a shapeshifter Mm -hmm. and also concepts of like having some privileges and not having others sure and things like that 
So a lot of people, I think, would get out from it that they can find themselves somewhere inside it and that they don't have to do it in such an intense way as a lot of games that focus on, you know, people who are othered can do. Right. Yeah, there's a little bit of abstraction there that allows for an invitation for a lot of these kind of themes and a lot of introspection that maybe wouldn't happen even in a faster paced or sort of more actiony kind of game. But there's there's still a, uh, some context around it that expressly doesn't invite it to go toward some of those darker areas. Yeah, and like community is also a really big thing that I emphasize in the game. Like you, you really are in part trying to find a community mm. is part of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You start out knowing all of the other PCs, um, all the other player characters, okay. but that doesn't necessarily mean, mean that your relationships are perfect and good. Mm -hmm. Sure. We've, we've had some really beautiful experiences having people like find someone that cares for them and being able to care back. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Community isn't only a concept to be found in game. It's absolutely vital and sustaining, out of character as well. I'd like to tell you about Gamers Giving. Gamers Giving is a 501c3 charity made by gamers for gamers in need. Gamers Giving takes note when someone from the gaming community experiences tragedy, a house burning down or the onset of cancer, for example, and hosts events to raise money to make life just a little bit easier for them. Gamers Giving isn't just a charity, however. It's a community of hundreds of like-minded players and storytellers spread across two locations, the Denver metro area and the Facebook community online. To meet good folks in either medium, visit facebook.com gamersgiving and see how you can pitch in and support this weird, lovely family we're all a part of. I've, of course, included a link in the show notes. As Matthew DeMolanta likes to say, if the world already thinks we're strange, we might as well take care of one another. My heartfelt thanks to Gamers Giving, a charity by gamers for gamers. So what are some of the adjectives that you would use to describe turn as a game? Ah, adjectives. Making me you you mentioned earlier, you know, people some some people when you first showed them were kind of wanting it to be action-packed or wanting it to be dark or wanting it to be whatever and i'm i'm just after you've actually seen it played in the wild how would you how would you describe it i would say that one thing turn is to me that is super important and i don't think i've talked really about anywhere is that it's shockingly honest mm. for a whole bunch of people who are keeping secrets mm. like you end up being honest to each other so much and exploring so many things like it really is about exploration and about like searching and stuff yeah um but it's very it's got a tone of honesty in it that comes up every time i play that just blows me away that's great have you seen in the five years you've been working on this have you seen that the this the gaming culture and kind of gaming scene overall has made more space for this kind of thing or I think it's kind of mixed. Mm -hmm. um, like, while smaller groups have gotten more open mm -hmm. and more inclusive, we've also had these pockets build up of really toxic and kind of problematic things. Mm, yeah. And, like, it puts people at risk. And, like, the current political situation where I am 
mm-hmm. um, is basically not great. Yeah. And it is for a lot of people in various places. And uh, I think that that's related. Since 2016, the world has become a very volatile place. Yeah. And it was already kind of at risk. Right. And that, re- that, re- that reflects in games. Like a lot of us are striving to make content that is inclusive and raise awareness for inclusive work and designers and stuff. That's a lot of what I do on Thoughty, my uh, site where I do interviews and stuff. Mm-hmm. I try to like, you know, highlight inclusive designers and stuff like that. But there's still a lot of rough attitudes and there's still a lot of stuff that people aren't willing to change. Mm, yeah. And I think there's also still a lot of fear on the side of people like me who are marginalized of the people who are making things the way they want to mm-hmm. and causing problems with it. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of fear of the marginalized people. Yeah. As somebody who creates like diverse content and stuff, like it's hard and it's been very scary. Like when I did Behind the Mask over the summer, that Kickstarter was a nightmare because mm-hmm. all I could think was what if somebody goes after the people that I've hired to work on this project? Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Just complete and absolute fear every single time I got a message about it or something like that. And it's like it's a it's a double edged it's like two sides of a coin because on the one hand, precisely what is needed <laughs> is to be creating content and mm-hmm. welcoming people and you know paying good people to do good work who have been marginalized before. But like that also necessarily puts the whole enterprise into a spotlight, which in a dangerous situation is really unnerving. So like yeah. Uh, you know, the correct answer can't be to just back off and give up on all of it. But then the correct answer also, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's really hard and it's very scary. And like, obviously, I'm white. So like, I have privileges and a getaway pass that like not a lot of people mm-hmm. do who are super marginalized and everything like even though I'm non-binary, even though I'm queer and disabled and everything like I have a lot of ticky boxes against me. but. I know that it is harder for marginalized people. And I would say the best thing that people can be doing for people of color, for indigenous people, for, you know, people of all marginalized backgrounds is to try and center them, especially if you have places of privilege, give money where you can, because money does the most right now, because we're still in a capitalist society, Uh, but also give like time uh, whenever you share their stuff, say positive things about it along with the share, because that always is more successful. Mm -hmm. And, and just try and like really reach out and surround yourself with them without asking them to do all the work. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you. Thank you for turn and the sort of the hope and the invitation that comes along with it and the long labor of love that it has been for you. <laughs> I'm excited to see how people play it and what good it does uh, in the world. Talk to me a little about the business side of things. You mentioned stretch goals and the fact that you're well on the way to a second stretch goal, which is Tour of Italy. Where Where is that at right now? The Tour of Italy is at 14,000 and we are at 13 right now. We already hit our stretch goal for Anders Smith doing a Mormon community, which was really exciting. And I released along with that, the American Opossum, which was, uh, I'll be putting out actually after this, finishing up the layout and posting that. Ezio and Lavinia have some really amazing ideas about the differences between American and Italian landscape and rural towns oh. and how there aren't really isolated rural towns in Italy. 
anymore. Oh, interesting. Uh -huh. And then we also have McGay Baker is our stretch goal after that for Smead Hill, which is kind of a town affected heavily by economic failure and has a squirrel and a skunk. I think are going to be the new archetypes, which I'm, I'm super excited about the skunk, actually, because I'd been thinking about doing that on my own. <laughs> so, and then we have uh, Garrett Reining House for uh, Hulver, Germany, which is a tiny little rural place in Ger West Germany. And Jay Foster doing Harmouth in South Devon, which is in the UK. It's a coastal town. So there's there's a lot there. Like people are exploring some really amazing things. We only have out to 20,000 because I'm not expecting to like get past that, even if we happen to hit all of these, because unfortunately, like they're predictors for how Kickstarters work. Yeah. And so you have to be, you know, as as generous with yourself as you can without like being too like ambitious. And I have a special like secret goal if we hit 20,000 that I may release. So, ooh. Um, okay. I hope we get there because <laughs> I want these stretch goals really bad, but I also really want to, you know, part of the reason why the Kickstarter exists is so I can do more design work because I had to leave my professional careers basically to do this stuff freelance because my health is not good enough. Talk about part of the business, man. Like it is super, super hard to run a Kickstarter whenever you're still recovering from a brain injury. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, it's so many hats. I mean, even even minus a brain injury, yeah. it's like you know the 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 business side of a brain and the creative and like writing side of a brain are they're just they're just different things that you're working out of, and to like be juggling those anyway is difficult. Let alone when you have when you have other things that make it harder. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. But there's there's a lot of really good stuff there. Um, I'm really excited about it. One thing I will say in regards to like looking at the community and the, and the world as it is, one of our backer levels is the Bison level. I was actually talking about it on Twitter today. It is where you buy a print and PDF for yourself and additionally buy a copy, a print and PDF that will be distributed to a marginalized community member after the Kickstarter is done and everything. So, uh, so cool. yeah, I'm, it was inspired by Oren by New Agenda Publishing, which was amazing. I'm a writer for that actually, but that's not why I did it. It's because it's a cool idea for a stretch goal and uh, for a backer level. So it's been very successful and I want it to keep going. So that's that's a lot of the stuff that's going on. <laughs> oh, I, I love that idea of sharing. That's actually the reward level that I just backed at. So awesome. um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to uh, to see that spread. It's very cool. Give me just a little bit of a rundown. I mean, obviously, go to Kickstarter, everyone, and search for Turn. The, the entire, the full title is Turn, a tabletop role-playing game. But if you just search for Turn at Kickstarter, you will find good information about it. Where else should people go to find out a bit more about you and your work and all the other hats that you're wearing? So I have a website where I do um, interviews, I do game design, I do game theory, I talk about Turn. And it is breecs.com. So that's B-R-I-E as an echo. C as in Charlie, S as in Sierra.com. And you can find like a whole bunch of stuff there. It's been around for a pretty long time. <laughs> and uh, I have a Twitter for Thoughty. It's called Thoughty Games. T-H-O-U-G-H-T-Y. Yes. yes. Yeah. You know, things that are a little thoughty. You got to think about them a little. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that's where I post updates to like, what's going on in the Kickstarter. I post updates about the blog, you know, all of that stuff. 
And leading with class is also at uh, leading W class on Twitter. And that's where like I do all my leadership stuff. And I have Patreons for both Thoughty and for leading with class. That's uh, patreon.com slash thoughty and patreon.com slash leading with class. All of those things actually help me continue to do more game design and more work. Like I wouldn't have been able to do turn at all. Like I wouldn't have designed it because of the jobs that I was doing and going through grad school if I hadn't had the thoughty backing getting me this far. Yeah. And um, that's amazing. It's super valuable. <laughs> I really, really appreciate it. So nice. Um, but those are the main. I'm I'm also on other social medias, but like mostly just look for like Bree CS or Bree Bo or something like that, and you'll probably find me. Nice. Sounds good. Um, anyone else that you have been working with or partnering with on the project that you want to mention or shout out to? Certainly. So the first is uh my husband and business partner John W Sheldon, who uh is at jw-sheldon.com for his website and is completely amazing i mean uh john did the video work he has done all the layout um he'll be doing all the layout for the book um but he's also been really heavy into helping me like get the design to make sense um and stuff like that awesome especially while i was struggling with like stuff after my brain injury like he was absolutely amazing in helping me and, and making sure that my work gets through and soon he's going to be getting into hopefully releasing Roar of Alliance, which is his game that I've been camping on and playing. <laughs> the alternate history World War II tank crew game. <laughs> nice. It's so good. It's like one of my favorite games. I love it so much. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's really nice. And I also have uh, Tracy Barnett, who is the other Tracy on Twitter and designer of Iron Edda Accelerator, School Days, and produces the other cast. They are the developmental editor for the game, as well as our Kickstarter consultant. And very experienced designer with a lot of like really cool work in their past. And I also have John is doing the human role art for the game. But for the beasts, we have Reese Harris, who is also known as Deer in the Moon. They are doing all of the beasts in their full, like, beautiful gloriousness. <laughs> so, they, are, they are really beautiful, yeah. I love them so much. And while I do have other writers, I have Alicia Foster Scales, who did the essay on race and is our sensitivity consultant for race. Alicia is amazing and totally wonderful. I do especially want to mention AJ Odasso, who is doing the poetry for the book, which uh, when you read the poetry, you understand turn a lot better. And there's going to be more poetry in the book than the one that is on the Kickstarter, including one that AJ wrote for the final back cover page. Is it presumptuous of me to ask you to read that, the calm before that AJ Adasso wrote that's on the Kickstarter? It's so beautiful. I can try. I'm not sure if I can pronounce everything. That's okay. I can, I can try if you want to, and I'll give the same disclaimer, but <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would love to try if that's okay. Yeah, if you'd like to read it, absolutely. It's I'm I love it and would love for more people to hear it. It's just a good taste of what you will find when you go and explore the Kickstarter, everybody. So please do. It's a brief poem. It's just called The Calm Before by AJ Adasso. There are tiny beastie footprints that uh, morph backwards into human footprints walking across the corner of the page and also... Um, you know, a beverage ring, which as we've discussed, I love beverages. So it already got my attention. <laughs> 
Evening primrose, bittersweet. This town's wish is to stand long after we've left it. Drowsy green will swallow our stories and crush them to seeding. Leyline and Trestlebridge alike know our full stops, cesuras, palimpsests, before we've but breathed them. Our smoke in the evening swan wake shimmers patient as frost. The next harsh winter stands waiting already. Poison ivy reaches, tendrilled warning against restless belief. Yes, you will leave me alone here in undisguised autumn. Your hands, I trust less than this toxin shine. Your berry rhyme on my baited lips, so let it be. There's still time. Ah, man. I just loved the little images that it creates, and it's part of what got me so excited about the project. So Every time I hear it aloud, it makes me tear up. I'm sorry. No, it's 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 lovely. It's lovely, Brie. It's so good. Anyhow, yeah, it's it's amazing, and the the one for the back cover that we already have um, is super awesome. And there's supposed to be, I think, six more added to the book. So, reason to back it right there. <laughs> yeah, and definitely check out uh, more of AJ's work online if you enjoyed that, and any of the stories that AJ shares about their childhood you'll really see some of my experiences as well because uh, we actually grew up and spent a lot of time in some of the same brooks and valleys as kids, like same neighborhoods even. Crazy. Did you know each other from back then or was that a discovery <laughs> along the way? So AJ's a little bit older than me and um, I met them on LiveJournal whenever I was like 11 and we've known each other ever since. <laughs> LiveJournal? Yeah. That's <laughs> I remember live journal. Yeah, um, that's funny. We were in the Good Omens fandom and the Lord of the Rings fandom, and, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. <laughs> and um, cool. AJ's work just rips my heart out every single time. Uh, like it's so good. So I'm a user experience designer by trade. Like that's what my day job is. And there's a lot of technology overlapping with like human considerations, how people think and how people are, mm -hmm. and what they need. But in-game design is similar. It's just so cross-disciplinary in the sense that you're bringing together, in this case, art and poetry and, you know, the sort of crunchy bits of the systems and the game design. And then also just really thinking about people and how this is going to affect them and how it can build a community and all of the above just wrapped up into one shiny package. It's lovely. Thank you. I I hope that, you know, the full experience ends up being amazing. I cannot wait to make this into a book. It was a hard decision to make it print because a lot of people warned against that. Mm. But to me, like that is going to be part of the experience. Mm -hmm. And while you can totally experience the full game and play, some people appreciate <laughs> a tactile experience. And that's what I wanted to make sure I met. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you again so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I, I will watch this closely to see where it all goes. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. Of course. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Welcome back. Longtime listeners have heard me talk about my home game of Invisible Sun. I created this segment originally with the intention of talking about the games at my own table. And in fact, you've already met Aaron and Talbert, two members of that crew. However, I'm sad to say, Erin the Apostate has taken a lovely job elsewhere, very far from my dining room table, so she and her husband Justin have left two gaps in my group. 
Then I took great joy in GMing The Truth Bleeds at Twilight, an Invisible Sun narrative streaming on Monty Cook Games' Twitch channel over the summer. One despair, one joy. The crux conspired to keep my own game from starting, in any case. Season one of the online show has now finished, so I'm hoping to get my own home game with some new players whom you will meet off the ground as the year closes. In the meantime, though, I thought I'd initiate the segment anyway with a bit of fiction, an epilogue to the rather dire finale of Truth Bleeds. It's written in such a way that it shouldn't spoil your enjoyment of the show if you're still catching up, but there are, of course, some spoilers inherent if you're a purist about such things. You can find all eight, no, nine episodes of the show at twitch.tv slash Games. But now, the streets of Saturine. The Truth Bleeds at Twilight. Epilogue Part 1. The Howling. A final shimmering arc traced through the sludge of splintered wood, coming to rest at the precise geometric center of the chamber's round stone floor. In its wake, a plume of crimson swirled through the shallow pool of water, then dissipated. The ritual was complete. Magic of this type always brings with it a a smell, a taste, or, or perhaps a sensation in the air. But the charged ether of this hall, tonight, held a savor unlike any before the war or since. Chaos, greed, unbridled lust for power, and utter disdain for order. Void. Two cloaked men in a dozen acolyte thought forms stood awestruck and quaking as the towering figure congealed in the cavernous darkness above them. The streams of soul energy flowing from the motionless bodies strewn about the edges of the room slowed to rivulets. Twelve, no, thirteen spokes of a shattered wheel. And there at the hub, a snarl. Raised lips, bared teeth, cavernous yellow eyes, and for one indulgent moment, ears laid back flat with the excruciating pleasure of being in space and time. Then, head thrown back, a howl. The ululation pressured its way through ancient stone, pierced at least one half of one dimension, bolted up two staircases tightly coiled, and burst upward into the moonlit air of the Marquis Quarter. The thought forms running errands, the mercenaries and prostitutes and insomniacs haunting the cold stone streets, and all of those comfortably and reasonably tucked into their warm beds, were united in that strange, strange moment. To a person, they launched upright wild-eyed, or fearful, or curious, or prayerful, or ecstatic, or mostly just racked with hollow despair. The moon blinked out, the kaleidoscopic dark that momentarily sprayed across every surface on the shadowed side of indigo, was dazzling in its nothingness, a consuming whole, every color of the path, and yet, somehow, no color at all. The moment passed, the howl faded, Future Visley may debate its origin and effect and implication for centuries to come, but none may know, perhaps, just how close all souls in Saturine came that night to losing every freedom and certainty they have ever known. Gentle reader, I must set pause momentarily to the flair and flourish with which I would normally relay to you the truth of these events. The details which follow are far too dark, too terrible to convey in full. A simple list may do us justice, while reducing anguish for all who choose to continue reading beyond this cautionary colon. Colon. Fact. 
The specter takes form, growling, my time has come, let us commence. Fact, the taller of the two men removes his hood, looking up with a blank and resolute face upon which failure and doom are etched. Fact, the air grows cold and wild as the beast realizes that preparations are not, in fact, in order. You promised me an unblemished vessel. I have journeyed all this way, and you give me no place to rest. Reader, delicate friend, I cannot say much more. A mere flick of the tail was all that was necessary to dispatch Oliald, the more frail of the two men. But it was the master of pacts, sage of the third hand, would-be lieutenant of the fourteenth soul, who bore the brunt of the vengeful guardian's rage. The jackal required a vessel, and Kirarik obliged. But I do not need to tell you that Kirarik was most emphatically not pure, and matter and void are a marriage unmakeable. With the end of Kirarik came the end of his summon, and with the end of his summon came the end of the invitation. Unable to remain on this plane, the nemesis of stones returned immediately whence it came. But Kirarik, it must be said, will never return, neither to the actuality, nor to any other place, nor time, under any sun, anywhere. Thank you for visiting tonight. It always makes my heart light when you darken my door. Oh, and be careful up there. The howling still echoes across the cobblestones. Thanks once again to Gamers Giving for support of this episode. Audio design for The Secret Cellar is by Casey Ross. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games, with whom Zeros.Bar and The Secret Cellar are unaffiliated. May you find freedom, my friends, from Shadow. Shadow.